This morning's reading is taken from the Gospel according to Luke, um, chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, in case uh, we haven't met before, in case you're, you're curious, my name's Paddy, I'm one of the curates here. Uh, as part of my training, I've been here, there and everywhere, sent off on alternative placements, and then had a baby, so I was absent again. And then I got sick, and I was absent again. And, um, and then in January, I'll be away again on placement. So, here, there and everywhere. But, let me pray before we begin. God, we... Thank you, praise you for being who you are. May you continue to open our eyes, open all of our senses, that we may experience your presence with us this morning. We praise you for your word, your message. May your truth continue to speak to us. God, bless my words, and as I speak generally, would you, by your power, by your Holy Spirit, be speaking to us specifically this morning. Amen. Amen. There are moments, single moments, that completely change our life, that shape it. And often we are altogether completely unaware of them as they happen. Over 13 years ago, I awkwardly stumbled into the introductory lecture for my undergrad degree and I looked around. I went to Goldsmiths College, which is exceptionally trendy. I was not. Tom Williams, fellow Goldsmith grad. And um, so I looked around for someone I might be able to connect with. And I encountered another awkward looking 20 something scrolling on his pre smartphone phone. And um, what conspired was uh, a friendship that usually centered around him, introduced me to FIFA on um, the PlayStation, whatever it was. But a few months later, because of this friendship, he would be standing next to me in the church that he invited me to, praying that I would experience the Holy Spirit for the first time. 
and ultimately accept Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. So that single moment outside a lecture hall, it transformed my life. And at the time, I was entirely unaware of it. And so, so here in this scripture reading, the evangelist Luke documents this moment in time in which this young girl, Mary, encounters the angel Gabriel. A moment in time which would shape all of history for all eternity. And I don't think when Mary woke up that morning, she knew her life was about to be turned upside down and she was about to be a central protagonist as God established something in history. And so we find the supreme example of what happens when God's grace comes upon a human and they are able to humbly obey. And so I wonder, as grand as it might sound, even this morning, do we wonder whether this morning we might, we might have one of those moments which is going to shape our lives forever, which is going to shape our community's life forever. Like I said, we find this example of when God's grace comes upon a human and they're able to, to humbly obey. It's when God's external power, it's when his indwelling Holy Spirit is set to work. And here we read about how a virgin is able to conceive a child. Quite simply put, the unthinkable comes to be. James introduced this series going through the, the Gospel of Luke and then into the book of Acts. And he laid out a couple of things we wanted to discover, to become. One of which was we want to discover authentic Jesus-shaped Christianity. And I would urge us today that actually authentic Jesus-shaped Christianity is when God's grace comes on our lives and the unthinkable comes to be in us and around us. And it's not merely to, to impress people. It's not merely to, to make us feel warm and fuzzy on the inside, but it is for God's plans and purposes to be manifest through us as agents of his kingdom coming here on earth as it is on heaven. So I would suggest at the core of this text that Olashaki read to us, of this text about Mary being told she is to conceive a child miraculously is humble obedience serving God's plans and his purpose. It begs the question, why, why Mary? And if we take this message for ourselves, like why me? Why would God use me amidst his plans and his purposes? James laid out how in previous weeks we had Elizabeth and Zechariah and they both came from this rich um, heritage of priests. There's even a reference to the man in which Mary is to be married to in which one of her ancestors was King David. So she comes from this ancestral family tree. Whereas Mary could be blunt and say actually from what the text tells us, she has no social pedigree. Nothing Mary has done, nor nothing Mary is, is particularly special. 
that God would decide to use her. And maybe for some of us, I'll probably suggest for most of us, we really look at it like we're not Prince William's like fifth cousin once removed. There's no like special lineage. Andrew's not here, so I can't like point to someone who's got like 16 bishops in their family. But rather, the angel Gabriel says to Mary, he says, you have found favor with God. Some translations would, would render it like, you who are highly favored. And the word that they get from, from favor, it comes from the same root that we'd also get, just the word grace. It's just like Greek word charis, it's like grace, gift. That which is unearned. And it just highlights to us God's elective purposes are always undeserved and detached from any merit. It's not about what we have done to, to earn the privilege of God choosing to use us. Rather, God calls us because of what we have been redeemed to be. God chooses to, to use us, not because of how great we are, but simply because God chooses to. Because he chooses to nurture and grow something good and beautiful within us and through us. And so I wonder, as much as this might come across like some self-help mumbo-jumbo, like how often do we wake up in the morning, look at ourselves in the mirror and say, oh, oh goodness, good morning, like you who are favoured by God? <laughs> has anyone ever done that? Maybe like Charlie probably has, or like Ben has. Maybe the rest of us need to get in line and realise like, that, is, that is the truth that we get to take hold of. We look at ourselves in the mirror and say, gosh, I am highly favoured by God because he has chosen to use me. Not because of anything I've done, but because of who he is. But it's wonderful to say that like, I'm chosen. But also like being chosen inherently comes with a command. Comes with God asking something of us. And so for Mary, it is God saying, like, through the angel Gabriel, you will conceive and give birth to a son. God asks something of her. I think God asks something of all of us. I'll describe this as, this is an opportunity for our stewardship to actually look at what we've been given and say, what are we going to do with it? Gabriel says to Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son. He describes who this son will be. And he goes on to say, you know what? But the Lord will give him the throne. As much as it is we're given a command, it's always followed by God's promises of what he will do. I describe as his divine providence. So our authentic Jesus-shaped Christianity is the union between our stewardship, what we do with what we've been given, and his divine providence. God doing the miraculous. God working. I might even say there is, in what we're doing right now, there is a union between me publicly declaring the truths of God, that's my stewardship, and God piercing our hearts and our mind and renewing us by his grace 
and his power. Does that make sense? And amidst all of this, it's also worth reminding ourselves that as much as we're in the Christmas season, as much as Hollywood or like kids' cartoons like to make a big thing of it, Jesus' miraculous conception is not the most significant thing about his life. Like all the, the writers of the New Testament, they go to great lengths to like shine a spotlight on his life, death, and resurrection. Because it's not about how he was conceived, but it's why he was conceived. Why was he conceived? I think James unpacked it a bit last week as well. But how all the language Gabriel uses points us back to these like messianic prophecies of this like um, particularly promise to David. When you read through accounts of God promising to David, like one example, two Kings, no, two Samuel, chapter seven, you get the, the Davidic promise God giving to David about what he will do. It's why. Mary was to conceive a child miraculously. And what for? It's not about how he's conceived, but what for? To be the saviour of the world. To bring about a new world order. To bring about a new way of, of being human. And also, it was who this child will be. Again, the language continually points back to this promise given to David, which talking about a king who God will establish his throne and whose throne will last forever and ever. So it's not about how Jesus was born, but it's why, what for, and who this baby boy would be. So it begs the question, what, what challenge does this <clears throat> text set for us? What's the prescription for it? How do I apply this to my life? Put it quite simply, like, guys, let's, let's seek to, to practice the same humble obedience that Mary did. And granted, I don't think many of us will have the same calling that Mary did to, to bear the saviour of the world and be, uh, have a miraculous conception. I'm just going to probably put a bit of money on that. But I think to say, like, I don't know what my calling is. Like, we're all called to something. It's just a question of looking like, what is in your hand? Like, what are you called to do? Because God's calling is always present. It's like, where are you? Are you a teacher? It's like, gosh, well, God has called me to, to, to impart and show the love of God to these kids. Show the kingdom. Is it as a parent? To nurture these, like, little children. A neighbor, like, whatever. Fill in the blanks. Wherever you find yourselves. Don't diminish what God is calling you to just because... It isn't in the church. Yeah, let us seek to practice the same humble obedience as Mary. This is, this is the model for how humans are to respond to God's often unexpected calling. Which actually at the end of it she says, you know what, I am the Lord's servant. And may your word to me be fulfilled. So it begs the question, like, are we willing to accept God's call upon us? <coughs> I 
I told Jacob I wouldn't do that. Either like slam the microphone or cough. Are we willing to accept God's call? Particularly with, with all its perils and particularly all its inconveniences that the gospel holds. Are we willing to intentionally inconvenience ourselves? But as much as I say, the application of this is to, to practice the same humility. I would also suggest, not merely out of cynicism, but the fact that this is altogether entirely unrealistic. Just to say, you know what, guys, let's, let's follow Mary's lead and let's practice the same humble obedience as her, I would suggest is altogether unrealistic. And particularly because of what the, the text outlines. As silly as it sounds, I find the Bible particularly encouraging because it constantly reminds me and reminds all of us of our human frailty and inadequacy to what God has called us to. And when you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus calling and like using these, like particularly these young men, Many of them you would say, put down your nets, put down whatever you've turned your life to, and follow me. And they did. But eventually, despite a good run, despite a few wins, they all deserted him. We find by the end of the gospel accounts, and we would pick it up in the start of Acts, they all deserted him. Even Peter, with all his vigor and zeal, we find at the end of John's gospel in chapter 21, in what is often described as his redemption, we find another example of our human frailty and inadequacy. Jesus says, will you love me? Will you love me with this self-sacrificial love that you're willing to die? And Peter's response is, yes, I will love you like a brother. With great fondness, I will love you. And when you get into like, the, the exact words used, you realise that actually... Hats off to him for his honesty, but he wasn't able to actually live up to the standard Jesus was calling him to. So I have to warn you, as negative as it sounds, it's not. It's encouraging. When we look ourselves in the, in the mirror and honestly say, like, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to, to play my part in transforming the world? Absolutely not. Do I have what it takes? No. And that's the good news of the gospel. The good news is I don't have what it takes. But because of Jesus, I'm in Christ. And in Christ, I have every spiritual blessing. So maybe I have to qualify that, con like that controversial statement. Do you have what it takes outside of Christ? No. In Christ? Yes. Like all our, all our rituals that we do as church, all our initiations, whether it's like baptism, confirmation, even in Holy Communion, the vows I took when I was ordained, they ask things of us. It's like, will you do this? Will you do this? And it's always, with the help of God, I will. But when we celebrate communion, the prayer after communion is, send us out in the power of your spirit. Because we'll pick this up in like two years' time in the book of Acts. <laughs> you can read it yourself, because you will love it. Jesus tells him, like, wait. Go and wait. 
And then the Holy Spirit's going to come on you with power. And it's only then, when the Holy Spirit comes on them with power, that these disciples are, to, are able to become who they were always called to be. So the power of the gospel to transform the world is that it is God's very presence, his Holy Spirit living in us, dwelling amongst us, that does all the heavy lifting and makes the unthinkable come to be. Gabriel didn't just come to Mary and was like, conceive a, a child miraculously, and she just tried really hard. It's because the Holy Spirit came on her. And the big difference between the accounts you get <coughs> between Mary and Zechariah is Zechariah is constantly asking Gabriel, prove it, prove to me. This is true. And Mary just humbly asks, how will this come to be? And this, I think, is like the, the key statement of this passage. She says, how will this come to be? How will I conceive a child miraculously? How will I bear the Messiah, the Savior of the world that my people have been waiting for? Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So a few years after Sarah and I got married, I was plagued by the same thing every young married couple is plagued by in church. When older individuals saddle up next to you and they say, so um, when are you going to start having kids? <laughs> and if I was really honest, which I wasn't with a, except for maybe with a few, the internal dialogue was just like, I am terrified of fatherhood. Absolutely petrified. Yeah, because deep down, like, I knew that I didn't have what it takes. I wasn't willing to go down that route. And it was only through so much prayer, support, ministry, by God's grace, he revealed this truth to me that I was able to pursue fatherhood as it was his spirit that came on me, his power that overshadowed all my fears. So I realized that God's power at work in my life was bigger than anything I feared. I'm sure we can insert the whatever it is. For me, it might have been fatherhood, or like on a long list of many things. There's things in your life that you're terrified of, petrified of, but you know that God has called you to it. Because everything God is calling us to both personally and also corporately as a church is not possible by ourselves. It's only possible when the Holy Spirit comes on us and his power overshadows our own. Does that sound all right? Is that mildly encouraging? I guess the encouragement is this, that the invitation is to, to seek God and actually say, God, I, wanna, I want more of your Holy Spirit in my life. The good news is that we can, can expect, even here on Sunday, December 4th, we can expect to have a moment that when we look back on years to come, this could be a moment that would change our life forever. Because we can confidently expect 
the Holy Spirit to, to come on us, move in us in power to enable us to become who we were always called and redeemed to be. So why don't we stand? Let us expect his power to, to come upon us and continually overshadow us. I don't mean to make this merely a therapeutic message. I think there's also quite big like missional implications. It's actually God. When we let your Holy Spirit move and work on us, we can be the children of God you've always called us to be. We can become the church you have called us to be. So it's a simple prayer. Just Holy Spirit, come. Blow through this place. May we encounter you. Whatever it is that's helpful to you, maybe you want to put your hands out and expecting God to, to gift you his Holy Spirit by his grace. made light of it. That, that moment that changed my life forever was an invitation in church. And if you've never experienced the Holy Spirit before, we'd love to pray for you that you would. So that's my prayer over every single one of us. That we would experience the Holy Spirit more and more right now. It's a spirit. Do whatever you do. Make us more aware of you. Be renewing us now. Continue to renew our minds, our spirits. Flow through us. Continue to renew our, our bodies as well. <coughs> time just to wait on the spirit. Two groups of people I'd love to, to pray for. I'd love to invite you guys down to the front, but maybe it is quite simply you want to experience the Holy Spirit more and more. Particularly the fact that great me standing up here and talking about what you're called to do, but you don't even know what you're called to do. We'd love to pray with you. The Holy Spirit would come on you 
shine a light in your life of what it is God is calling you to do. I think the other side of that is the second group of people I'd love us to pray over, minister to. It's actually you have a deep conviction of what you are called to be, but actually there's that honest thing within you, just like Mary saying, how will this be? And we'd love to, to pray that declaration that Gabriel spoke. The Holy Spirit will come on you and his power will overshadow you. Does that sound alright? Yeah. So again, I say this as a big introvert. If that's you, I encourage you. 30 seconds of insane bravery. Come down to the front. And there's going to be other people who love to see God's plans and purposes come to be in your life. And they want to get alongside you and pray with you.